0: No purchase necessary. Void are prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Good evening. Tonight I want to speak to you. Don't you listen to your radio? No, I'd like to talk to you tonight.
0: I can listen to you talk all night. Welcome to the night. Mr. Bradley. Bradley Jameson L. Next caller, you're on the air. While the speak,
1: A little conversation. We will.
0: J Talking,
1: WBZ. WBZ, you are J Talking. We're live midnight to 5 a.m. if you can fathom that. Thank you for being with us. As you know, we love history here on J Talking. We have Anthony Samarco, Bob Allison, and various authors on historical subjects. We focus a lot on things like colonial history, revolutionary history, World War I, World War II, Civil War. We really have never, ever, ever, in all the five years I've been here, talked about Rome or anything like that. None of the ancient history. Well, that's all gonna change. I've been getting into the history of Rome lately and I'm not mistaken, I think you will too. We're very fortunate to have with us Susan Ludy Blevins, who is a history instructor at Dexter Southfield School in Brookline, Mass. And your CV weighs about 10 pounds. Well, they're very lucky to have you. Uh,
2: and we are very that, lucky but... to
1: have you too. Thank you for coming in.
2: Thank you.
1: Now, when you when you go to Rome now, you see these Huge high end buildings, and you get a sense that that's how Rome was. Thing is, all the hovels and the shacks that most people lived in got washed away, and all the the grand buildings uh, are all that's left. What was life like for most Romans?
2: Well, I think that uh, most Romans uh, in the city of Rome, it was an urban metropolis. You know, it started in the, according to the foundation myths, right, back in 753 BC. E, right? So before the common era, it started out with the founding and the story of Romulus and Remus. And like many cultures, Rome has its foundation myths to which it ties its identity. Probably
1: better remind them about Romulus and Remus.
2: Okay. So according to the story of Romulus and Remus, uh, the uh, there was a prophecy. Uh, in the myth of Romulus and Remus um, with the king of the Latins, which lived near what is modern-day Rome. And the prophecy was that his sons would kill him and basically take over. And so he uh, told his slaves to... uh, kill his two twin sons, Romulus and Remus. And instead of killing his sons, the slaves put them in a basket, put them down the Tiber River, which is the river that runs through Rome today, right? So you can walk by the sites where these things happened. And uh, the basket washed up on a river. And according to the myth, um, the legend, of course, for us, it's myth. For the Romans, it was history. It was their history. Uh, So that's kind of a fine line between myth and legend. Uh, a shepherd found them, a wolf found them, and uh, suckled them and and brought them up, and eventually the prophecy came true. Uh, once the city was founded, Romulus and Remus uh, basically got into an argument over who should run the city and which of the seven hills the city should be founded on, and Romulus won, uh, hence Rome.
1: And we're going to start with Caesar Augustus, not Julius Caesar, uh, because... Caesar Augustus was the first of the divine emperors. They have a particular name? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And we will go back and take a look at Julius Caesar and what he did wrong and what happened to him. But as we're starting with Caesar Augustus born as Octavian, what was the Roman Empire? What was the scope of it at the time?
2: The scope of the empire under Augustus Um, wasn't at its biggest. The empire was at its biggest later on under the Emperor Trajan in the second century. Under Augustus, though, it was growing. It had been growing under the Republic in the fifth, fourth, third, second centuries BCE. And under Augustus, it encompassed Italy. It encompassed uh, much of the Eastern Mediterranean and Greece. And uh, Julius Caesar had conquered parts of Gaul, and so it, which is modern-day France. Uh, so the empire was uh, on its growth, right? And after 31 BCE, after the Battle of Actium that we'll talk about, uh, it encompassed Egypt as well.
1: So Caesar Augustus wasn't born a superstar. He was born kind of out in the country. And when he was four, his father died, and things didn't look great for him. But he got lucky because... Uh, he came to know and came to be part of the life of Julius Caesar. How did that come about?
2: Well, his mother was Julius Caesar's sister. Well, his, his, his grandmother was Julius Caesar's sister. And so his, uh, his mother was Julius Caesar's niece. Uh, and so Julius Caesar had no direct heirs. And when Augustus, Augustus, formerly Octavian, right, when Julius Caesar was still alive, he was still Octavian. Uh, When Octavian was young, Julius Caesar took him under his wing. And uh, he initially went to, um, when he was a teenager, he went to Spain with Julius Caesar. There was a battle called the Battle of Munda. Um, He was in Macedonia, and he impressed Caesar with his... Uh, with his capability, despite his very, very young age.
1: So he said, hey, this guy's capable, and he is related to me. I have no heirs. I like this guy. I'm going to make him uh, the boss when I die.
2: Essentially, yes.
1: And he, he uh, adopted him posthumously. Yes. So he didn't, did uh, Caesar Augustus not know until after Julius Caesar was dead? He just got, got like a message, hey, by the way, you are now in charge?
2: Kind of, yeah. And that wasn't, um, it wasn't unusual to posthumously adopt someone in your will then. Uh, that, that wasn't atypical. Uh, Julius Caesar had been rising to power for several decades. Um, he had been a capable, uh, capable general. He had a number of the most important and largest Roman legions behind him that were loyal to him. And at that time, the legions were really loyal to generals. They weren't necessarily loyal to Rome right? So these generals, um, generals like Julius Caesar and some of his uh, his enemies, Pompey and other generals, had legions behind them. Um, they didn't necessarily uh, uh, ally themselves with the Senate, for example, in Rome. And that's part of where Julius Caesar's power came from, was this incredible loyalty from the military, as well as his massive wealth that he accumulated because of these, these military victories.
1: Probably a good time to Talk about why Julius Caesar was killed. What he what mistakes did he make? And we can go into some some detail on how and why that happened.
2: Sure. Uh, so the just a tiny bit of background, right? The Republic Republican Rome was based on a governmental system uh, with the Senate ruling. There was no single person at the apex of governmental rule in Republican Rome. The Senate consisted of at various times, hundreds of senators. Uh, at the top of that Senate were two consuls. Those consuls rotated every year. Basically, this entire system was set up to prevent any one person from gaining too much power. Right, The Romans were trying to avoid the situation of Greek Hellenistic kings. They didn't want a monarch. They didn't want the kings that were ruling at the very beginning in Rome's ancient origins. Um, but gradually, uh, with infighting among senators, with generals, who gained loyalty from these troops that I mentioned. Some of these structures, these governmental structures started to break down. Violence among senators, among the generals started, and the the basic sort of governmental system of the republic started to break down. And Julius
1: Caesar somehow gained too much power.
2: Julius Caesar and a couple of others rose to the top over time. First there was Sulla, then there was Pompey. Eventually, out of all of these competing generals, Julius Caesar rose to the top because of his military victories, essentially. There were other things going on too, and there were ways that he conveyed this incredible status in the city of Rome. Um, he, he had a statue uh, placed on the Capitoline Hill in Rome next to the most sacred temple, um, the, the temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus. Is that
1: statue still there?
2: Um, it is not still there, and nothing of it survives, but there are literary sources that describe it. It's one of the things that some of the literary sources say made the senators angry because he basically put up a statue that implied that he was already divine during his lifetime
1: all right there's a spot where julius caesar was killed is that the forum area where what do you call that area where there are a bunch of columns
2: yeah so the the spot where julius caesar was ultimately cremated was in the forum
1: cremated that's right he was burned
2: yeah there's a spot there's a little there is. Black there, that tells yes, you. Yes. And um, the spot where he was killed was in the Theater of Pompey. Um, there was a room in the Theater of Pompey, which is in a different part of Rome, in a place called the Campus Martius, that uh, the Senate met sometimes. And the senators, of course, a group of them got together and decided all together in 23 stat, you know. Strikes of the knife, um, so that no single person was killing him. They were killing him together. It was a very dramatic moment, of course. So that um, how did
1: how did they get him vulnerable so the first person could do the stabbing? Did they hold him down? Or? It
2: was a meeting of the Senate, according yeah. to the sources. It was just a meeting of the Senate, and they surrounded him. And there had been a number of omens before this. According again, according to the sources, there are a number of omens that foretold that this was a dangerous day but he was confident and he went to this meeting anyway. What was an omen? Um, Ooh, give me one. Uh, one of the omens, um, I believe there was something like a lightning strike the night before. You know, there, there were all sorts of omens and portents that happened in Rome that, um, that people believed if something broke, if something fell off a table. I believe the night before Julius Caesar, perhaps a lightning strike.
1: Okay. Tell us that uh, story associated with the cremation.
2: Yeah, so the cremation of Julius Caesar was uh, extremely dramatic. Um, He... Uh, the, the people loved Julius Caesar. The senators may not have cared too much for him because of his enormous power, but the people loved him and so the people basically paraded his body through the streets up to the Capitoline Hill. They tried to get up the winding street from the Forum to the Capitoline Hill because they wanted him to be cremated in the most sacred, most important spot in the city of Rome and as with, you know, as with us today, where things happen matter. Right? We see politicians making speeches with backdrops Optics. Optics are really important. Um, Places are very symbolic. And for the Romans, they're probably more so even for the Romans. Um, so the the people wanted to cremate him on the Capitoline Hill. The priests said, no, you can't defile the sacred place with the cremation of a body. So they went back down into the Forum and cremated him on one side of the Forum, probably the second most sacred and important spot in the city of Rome. And a column was erected there, a very tall column, and eventually uh, Augustus, uh, Octavian later Augustus, had the temple, an enormous temple, one of the biggest temples and the first marble fully marble temple in the city of Rome to the divine Augustus built on the spot where he was cremated and that's where when you go to Rome today and you see people leaving flowers people still leave flowers for Julius Caesar in Rome in this spot
1: you know a lot of history is has a myth woven into it but how about Roman history is pretty factual
2: yeah, so, so that, is, um, that is a really good question. Uh, there's, um, you know, there's, a, uh, I think what we, there are things that we know about facts that people may have done certain things when, but beyond that, so much of what we understand now is based on the sources. And so many of the sources, at least the written sources, are written by the elite class, Right. So we, most of the literary sources we read are written by elite, um, you know, poets, or the biographies of Suetonius are written by someone of the senatorial class, the elite. But at least
1: they were written at the time and they didn't have 100, 200, 300, 400 years passed before it got
2: written. Um, Yeah. There were some sources written later, but we take them all with, you know, with a grain of salt, understanding the perspective of who wrote them. The archaeology, however, I think in some ways can be more reliable. Um,
1: so Julius Caesar is cremated, and a messenger goes out to Octavian, who would become Caesar Augustus. Hey, you're up, kid. <laughs> and so he has to go, he has to show up, and he gets involved with two other folks in a triumvirate, the second triumvirate. Yes. Mark Antony and...
2: Mark And Marcus Lepidus.
1: Who's not really a player for very long.
2: Not for very long.
1: And so it becomes the two of them.
2: Yeah.
1: Pick, pick up... If you could add a, I guess um, they fight a couple of battles together, and then Mark Antony goes off to Egypt. Yes. So flesh that out for me.
2: Yeah, so, so at the beginning of the second triumvirate, or well, really as soon as, as Julius Caesar dies and, and Octavian finds out that he's the heir. And he's the heir not just to uh, Julius Caesar's money, but also to his power, essentially, the loyalty of the legions, the loyalty of his soldiers. Um, so he basically inherits his armies as well. And Octavian vows to avenge the death of Julius Caesar. And so these wars that uh, that Julius Caesar, Marcus Lepidus, and Mark Antony go to fight are essentially to uh, to capture and um and bring to justice Brutus and Cassius, which were the sort of the masterminds of the assassination plot of Julius oh, Caesar.. Okay, okay. And that's what the Battle of Philippi is. It's to bring to justice. The, you know the Roman senators who had assassinated Julius Caesar
1: what troop do they have their own loyal troops those two like some uh, people that, some of the Roman guard that splintered off and became loyal to them
2: uh, to Brutus and Cassius yeah. No, no um, interestingly the Senate uh, the senators who were in on the conspiracy to assassinate Julius Caesar really got it wrong. So they thought that they were sort of doing Rome a favor. They thought they were doing away with a tyrant. And in fact, the assassination of Julius Caesar has become a kind of, um, you know, archetype of killing the tyrant, right? Um, in later historical, it's used for comparisons all the time. Um, in the end, however, the people loved Julius Caesar, and uh, and as soon as um, as soon as people realized that Julius Caesar was dead, they they.
0: Casino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: ...who worked with them basically fled the city, and that's where they were in exile. So the senators
1: um, made a mistake.
2: They basically, well, uh, I guess that depends on your perspective, but certainly um, they could not stay in Rome after that and live.
1: Okay. And not too long thereafter, Anthony goes off to Egypt. Augustus stays home. You- you may know the story, Anthony meets Cleopatra, but why did Anthony go to Egypt in the first place?
2: Um, it, Anthony... Um, uh, Just because that was
1: the wild frontier that needed to be tamed, kind of?
2: Yeah, and uh, Egypt was incredibly valuable to Rome um, in terms of as Rome was growing and Rome was getting bigger and bigger, it was difficult to support that kind of population on the resources in Italy at the time. And so part of the reason for sort of venturing into Egypt was to take advantage of their resources, form alliances. Um, the queen at the time was the very famous um, and, and very infamous Cleopatra, right? The last of the Ptolemaic uh, kings uh, in Egypt. And, um, and she actually had already had a relationship with Julius Caesar.
1: See, i didn't know that
2: yes and uh and there were, there were children um with mark antony so then she had a relationship with mark antony and uh and mark antony began according to the sources many of which are certainly biased and produced by the augustine camp um, mark antony began to act more like a sort of exotic egyptian um
1: he went native,
2: exactly to the point he went non-Roman. He, meant he went non-Roman, non-Roman. Roman. Okay. and 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 for example, um, Augustus. Uh, one of the ways he really sort of conveyed this non um was was talking about his luxury and his sort of debauchery, but also the fact that he wanted to have himself buried and build a tomb in Egypt, and that would be an enormous insult to not be buried in Rome, right? You you can no longer consider yourself a Roman,
1: and. Cleopatra seemed to have designs on being the queen of of Rome, and they didn't like that either. Mm-hmm. Was cheating a thing then, you know? <laughs> um,
2: well, as uh, yes. Um, however, uh, as we'll come to see, it was more acceptable at some time periods than others. Um, and it was probably more acceptable uh, if you were not the sister of the most powerful person <laughs> yeah, in Rome. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so that had to be a thing that drove a wedge between them. The, their relationship Degenerated and uh, tensions increased and Caesar Augustus struck first and this big battle.
2: Yeah, so the Battle of Actium is one that probably is one of the most important battles in the narrative of the transition from the Republic to the Empire. It's basically when um, Octavian eliminates his last rival for power and after Actium he's able to assume full power. Now, There's a series of events that has to happen where the Senate grants him certain technical powers, but for all intents and purposes, after Actium, there is nobody left to rival him. Um, Once um, Mark Antony and Cleopatra flee the Battle of Actium, um, which is this big uh, naval battle where they are out, basically out-strategized, they are trapped, um, yet they escape. Most of the ships um, for Antony and Cleopatra sink. Uh, They eventually... Flee back to Egypt and uh, both of them commit suicide. Um, Why would
1: they do that?
2: uh, Well, Cleopatra, uh, well, different reasons. Mark Antony commits suicide because he knows he's lost, essentially, and and there's a little more to it than that, but that's basically it. Uh, Cleopatra eventually um, is, is close to capture, and she knows that if she's captured, she will be taken back to Rome and paraded in the Roman triumph, which was a Roman tradition that went all the way back to the beginning of Rome, where triumphant generals came back with all of the spoils of war, all the riches, all the slaves, all the the, um, the gold and the silver and captured kings and the family members of captured kings and parade them through the streets of yeah. Rome. It's kind of a very, it's like, look what I've done for you. She might have right? become a slave or and, killed. And, or... Well, she would have been basically the the gem in this triumphal parade. She okay. would have been the focus of the triumphal humiliation. parade. Chains Humiliation. And so rather than do that, you know, according to legend, who knows if it's actually true, um, you know, she died by the bite of a poisonous snake, an ass
1: did were there any sculptures erected or anything erected to celebrate this massive event that you can still see
2: yeah there were um there were all sorts of um, uh, uh, buildings um, in fact the temple of divine Julius Caesar was completed not long after Um There were uh, many, many statues and arches. Um, Most of what Augustus ended up building came later in Rome, uh, but certainly he started to make his mark on the city very early. Do you ever lead
1: tours to Rome?
2: Uh, I have, yes.
1: Well, let me know if you do another one. (laughs) So, this is a big deal. This is the everything's cool now. It's the Pax Romana, Roman peace things are great culturally and economically for a while and not really a, it's a time for caesar augustus to win the peace and he kind of brings back the template the republican template that existed prior to julius caesar at least in appearances he really was actually consolidating power but he made it seem like it was back to normal right
2: yeah and 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 you know not to make it seem as though his lead up to power was um was uh, without its violence, right? He was violent. Uh, uh, there were prescriptions, something called prescriptions, where basically at a certain point in time, he eliminated many of the senators who did not agree with him. Um, and this is one of the debates about the legacy or the kind of significance of Augustus, is that, yes, he created the Pax Romana out of these Brutal years of civil war, but he did so uh, in a really violent way, right? So do you, you know, historians and scholars ask, does the end justify the means? Um, even recently. Um, there uh, there was a quote uh, by Mark Zuckerberg admiring the sort of um, peace that Augustus brought and acknowledging that sometimes there are, you know, things that have to happen that may not be so pretty to accomplish great things. Mm. Um, there are scholars who sort of advocated that uh, where the EU is heading, it must be a sort of strong autocratic ruler like an Augustus in order to cure the problems that are going on in the EU. And this
1: is one of the reasons that t- reasons that understanding history is important to see what worked and what didn't and why it worked and
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And and it's not black and white, right? So so yes, there was he did some horrible things and but there were some good things that came out of it. We try to exactly understand the process. So right?
1: Caesar Augustus was not yet a divine emperor, but uh, there was a natural event that took place. He took advantage of it. I guess Halley's comet came, the same one that we know, and he said hey, that is the soul of My dad, uh, Julius Caesar, going up there, he's a god. That means I'm a son of a god, which made him a deity.
2: Yes. Well, he wasn't. So he was uh, the son of a god while he was alive. Okay. Um, As um, we talked about before we started, uh, Augustus was extremely careful to abide by some of the Republican conventions and not appear as someone who was claiming too much power or trying to have monarchical or kingly aspirations, um, like Julius Caesar, right? He saw the mistakes that Caesar had made. And so he would never have claimed to be a god during his lifetime in the city of Rome. Outside of Rome, it was a different story. But in the city of Rome, uh, Augustus would never have claimed to be a god during his life. That did not happen until after death. Uh, so Julius Caesar um, did become a god after his death uh, by decree of the Senate. That's how this process happened, um, by decree of the Senate. And then he received a temple right in the Roman Forum. And you can go today and see the sort of podium or foundation of that temple uh, in Rome. Um, after Augustus died, he also was deified. So he was the first deified emperor. Um, and uh, as uh, deified A deified emperor and a deified ruler, Julius Caesar and Augustus, were included in all of the sort of religious ritual and the religious calendars of the so-called traditional gods of, uh, you know, all of the Roman, the state pantheon of gods that protected Rome and provided their uh, dominant position in the world.
1: When did they build a pantheon?
2: The Pantheon. Uh, well, there are kind of two versions. The one that we see today. was a little bit of debate, um, but it was probably built, uh, begun under the Emperor Trajan in the second century, and finished under the Emperor Hadrian, perhaps. Trajan. Someday um, we'll get to him. Yes, he's got a
1: column too.
2: <laughs> he does.
1: We're going to sort of back up and take a look at the personal life of Caesar Augustus. He got divorced, and he took up with this uh, mistress. He married his mistress, who was pregnant at the time. Livia, Olivia.
2: Uh, Just Livia, L-I-V-I-A, Livia. Yeah. Yeah, and she already had a child um, uh, named uh, by by a man named Claudius Nero, and her child's name was Tiberius. So Tiberius was Augustus's stepson. So that's the same
1: Tiberius you hear about?
2: and ultimately Tiberius is the one who ended up um, being the dynastic successor to Augustus, uh, not necessarily by Augustus's choice, right? During Augustus's life, he had all sorts of other choices uh, within his family, uh, nephew, um, uh, grandsons, but they all died before him. He had terrible luck. He didn't have any sons of his own, um, and basically everybody that he probably would have wanted to succeed him uh, died before before him, and so eventually ended up with Tiberius. Ended up with Tiberius, who had been he had been grooming for some time before his death.
1: All right. One uh, one note here, I guess we're kind of jumping around now. It, it is Caesar Augustus, who was the, the the emperor at the time. Well, he's the guy that called for the census. That caused Joseph and Mary to go to Jerusalem to get counted, correct?
2: Yeah, so the Or sense, Bethlehem, sorry. Yeah, Augustus was very concerned with, um, well, we've talked a little bit about these administrative reforms of Augustus. And although it doesn't really sound like all that much fun and it's not quite as juicy as some of the other stuff, it was really important to the functioning of the Roman Empire. And he was very concerned with the way in which um, society was structured. You had a patrician or elite class. You had an equestrian class. You had plebs. Um, and these were uh, classifications that were determined by law. And the census basically uh, counted who was in each class. Only patricians were allowed to be in the Senate, for example. So your 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 status, according to the census, determined certain privileges that you could get. Uh, so this was really important. It wasn't like our census today, which is basically to kind of count yeah. Um, and keep track of demographics.
1: It's weird. You um, had to go back to your place of birth, your original hometown, to get counted.
2: <laughs> yes, right? everyone.
1: There must have been a big migration back and forth. Um,
2: you know, I don't. I that may have been. I'm not sure if by the time of Augustus, if that was um, that was the case. But it may have been. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, but there are even reliefs in Rome that show the census uh, happening from the late Republican period. That's how important it was. Wow.
1: Caesar Augustus. We've we've covered most of it, but there is uh, some portraiture that you can see today in uh, Rome that was done of him.
2: Yeah, yeah. More uh, more portraits of Augustus survive than just about any other emperor from Rome. They were Rome. done then. Um, and and, yeah even then their portraits were everywhere I mean think of um, you know images are so ubiquitous today then uh, imperial portraits were the way of sort of having emperors be in contact with their people especially all over these distant provinces and the portraits of Augustus were particularly um, kind of revolutionary at the time because republican portraits had generally been of these old conservative men that conveyed their experience and their um, you know their their, their seriousness. But Augustus was so young, he wasn't even 20 when Julius Caesar died, that his portraits had to look quite different. So he's, his portraits are modeled on um, Hellenistic kings and uh, divine portraits. He's idealized, he has beautiful smooth facial features. Um, and and they're all, uh, you see slight variations in his portraits, but they're very recognizable. Everybody in the empire knew what Augustus looked like because of these portraits.
1: So but in about 45 seconds, can you just talk about the Caesar Augustus' will and his...
2: Yeah, one of the interesting things about Augustus is that he was very, very aware of how he would be remembered. Um, and he wrote his in his will, he specified uh, what should be said at his funeral. He specified how he should be remembered. He started building his tomb before he died, uh, and that's the Mausoleum of Augustus, which you can also visit if you go to Rome. It still stands, the entire thing. Uh, and all of his family members were buried there. And in his will, he basically says, um, it's sort of like his, uh, his resume of his life told in his own words. It's basically his autobiography, his res gestae, or his list of things done. Um, Is it something
1: and- that's easy to read?
2: Uh, well, no, it's quite long, but there is there are a few interesting um, you know phrases. He, he begins with, in my 19th year, right, he's 19 years old, on my own initiative and at my own expense, I raised an army and I set free the state which was oppressed by the domination of a faction. And basically what he's saying is he set, he saved the Roman people, right? So he begins by, sa- by positioning himself as the 19-year-old savior of the Roman people. Then he goes on to talk about his wars, his buildings, uh, all of the things he gave to the people, um, all the good That way he could things. have
1: control of his own legacy.
2: His own control of his memory.
1: All right. Susan Ludy Blevins, a history instructor. Again, they're really lucky to have you at Texas Southfield School in Brookline, Massachusetts. Thank you. What a wonderful debut appearance on
2: the yeah. program. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Absolutely.
1: That was another Jay Talking Podcast. If you loved what you heard, like and review the show. It helps others find us. Subscribe to the Jay Talking podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode. Follow me on Twitter for show updates and as always, you can catch the show live every weeknight starting Sunday midnight to 5 on WBZ Boston's News Radio.